This is the Motley Fool Money Mailbag. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, our very special Sunday mailbag edition, where I play the role of Scott Phillips and he plays the role of Andrew Page Esquire, the founder, managing director, chief cook and bottle washer of strawman.com. Mr. Page, good morning. Good morning. I like to think I, I play the role better than anyone else. I certainly play it more iconoclastically than anyone else. I could say that for sure. <laughs> is that a reasonable thing to say? Well, I just mean that like if, if you're going to play someone, playing yourself is probably the safest bet. That, you know, <laughs> you, you, you can't be wrong, right? So if you go to that convincingly, you've got some trouble. That's a, that's a Whatever very- I do, I'm, I'm going to do a good job of it. So. <laughs> very, very good. Mate, um, you're well, I assume, this Sunday morning? Yes, you know I've done the jog, done the climb, done the Good. weights, the <laughs> pentathlon, the usual pentathlon, six pack of beer before nine. <laughs> sure, you name it, all the good things, all mate. Good don't things. we have a heap of questions? So let's get straight into them this week. Uh, we kind of foreshadowed this one on Friday's podcast. Um, yeah, <laughs> basically, Brandon says I can't send this to Ram, though I'd love to get his rant. Sorry, I mean thoughts on the mascot <laughs> towers fiasco and deal uh, by which i replied oh man you really want to wind him up and he says bitcoin and property but on a serious note the 40 percent mortgage reduction agreed to by the banks and then covering whatever if any by the government would have to be quite a unique situation right mm. and i thought this was worth talking about we're not going to do this in heaps of detail because it's a bit complex and the numbers are weird and it's only a very specific circumstance but i think there probably is uh, some implication, or at least some some things worth thinking about. So, Mascot Towers, big tower block in Sydney. Mascot is in the kind of inner south of, of Sydney, uh, near the airport, obviously, for those who know that. Uh, it seems like the owners have come to a deal. And the deal is between the banks, the government, and a prospective owner to kind of basically make this thing go away. However, still saying there is... That they'll probably still end up being worse off as a result. They haven't been able to move in. This thing's been mm. empty since 2019. Uh, wow. So let's go through quickly what it is, and then we'll get you your, your thoughts about it. So basically, a few things going on. Firstly, the government is going to give support uh, for investors and owner-occupiers without mortgages. The government's offering a means-tested support payment of up to 120 grand. Owner-occupiers over 65 will get up to $360,000 in means-tested government support. The government has basically twisted the arms of the banks to take 40% of their loan away, their mortgage, and some buyer is going to basically buy the whole block for about 30 million bucks, which would give every owner about 212-odd grand per unit to basically vacate the place. And I assume the owner, or the new owner, the prospective owner, has to pay such a low price because there's so much work to be done uh, that it's that it's going to, to have to be done. Now, here's the quote from the ABC article. It just says, quote, one owner contacted by the ABC who stands to lose up to $2 million said they were glad your deal would be over, end quote. Uh, I will throw in another one in, one of the uh, experts discussing this one says uh quote has described the mascot towers fiasco as a perfect storm of regulatory systemic and system wide failure end quote Mm -hmm. now he then goes to say he did not believe uh... the situation as dire would happen again in new south wales Uh, the article says the government has introduced a string of restricted building regulations including latent defects insurance which is intended to cover owners costs of fixing building defects for up to 10 years and 
in Brandon's, uh, uh, if I if I inhabit Brandon's thoughts for a second, I'll simply ask you what he asked me, which is to get your thoughts on what you think about the entire fiasco and deal. Yeah. Well, first off, my heart really goes out to the people affected. Like it's a tragedy, and it's it's more than just a financial conversation. You know, it, it's it's people's life savings. And it's, it just, it does, it breaks my heart. I, I can't imagine going through that for five years, you know, it was, with so much uncertainty. Um, and I'm kind of of the view that if we've got the means and um, as a society to sort mm. of help people who fall victim to these kinds of things out, then yeah, I, I'm happy with that. It does create, uh, but again, it, it always comes back to the incentives at play. It, it creates a very slippery slope if the government is going to bail out anyone who finds themselves in this situation. It, 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 it's a moral hazard of sorts for developers, but you know, in, in the sense that they can, they can just continue to build at subpar standards and know that there'll be someone else that foots the bill. And in that case, when it becomes more of a problem, I'm like, well, actually, I, do I want all these tax dollars right. you know, being, being spent over here? I, I think that the easiest and most obvious solution mm. is that there must be a warranty of sorts. I know you mentioned the insurance, yeah. but I would, I would much prefer a warranty of sorts on the personal assets of the developers. In, in Roman, let me give you a story. In Roman times- Since <laughs> uh, so, 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 so kids, Uncle, Uncle so Rand's gonna tell you a story. <laughs> in the beginning, back in Roman times, the chief architect of any project, mm. or, or of any, I think the arch was the example, but they had to be standing under the arch when they removed <laughs> the scaffolding. When they placed the keystone, like, right, it's the true right, thing. Right. This actually yeah, yeah, happened. Yeah, yeah. Because if the arch wasn't held, if the building wasn't sound, it mm. would collapse and it would kill them. Now, very occasionally there was a tragic accident as a result of that. Right. But let me tell you, many of those arches are standing today. <laughs> Right, and and there might have been more built if there were more architects. I, I imagine the uh, the supply of architects kind of waxed and waned from time to time. <laughs> well, here's the thing: it hardly ever it hardly ever yeah, happened, yeah. right? And the yeah. the podcast that I'm basing this off, I don't think you could actually find one like legitimate verified record of, of it actually happening. <laughs> but we do yeah. know that the Romans build incredible things, and they they around today. I don't think an apartment building going up in Sydney is going to be around in 2000 <laughs> yeah. years time, just quietly. The let alone still 20 be there. years. Yeah, like, you know, right. it's, it ain't going to happen. Yeah, yeah. And I know it's I know it's sort of a bit of a silly example, but mm. at the same time, I think I think that's what it has to be. Mm. It, it, you can have you can have all the regulations and rules in place, but when it, when your when your own bum is on the line, mm. um, you're going to try a lot harder. The retort would be, well, well, that's unviable. No one can do that in that yeah. case. And I I call BS on that. It's like you know, not not. Open up a can of worms. Not giving public funding to private schools. There will still be private schools, right? I'll call that bluff any day of the week because yeah. it might it might actually increase prices yeah. uh, for housing, and that would be not a great thing. Right, but that, that's the unintended consequences problem. Exactly it's the unintended mean. consequence, but there's yeah. a there is a real cost. Money represents real limitations mm -hmm. and things, right? And if that's what it costs to, ha I would yeah. rather pay higher for a high quality house yes. than less for another one that when I amortize that over the full length of its of its useful life mm -hmm. and I factor in maintenance and the rest of it it's a false economy these yes. these houses look cheaper than uh, are cheaper than they the price tag suggests when you factor in all of the remediation all the fixing everything else and even even just in more recent times you walk around the streets of Sydney you <laughs> see these beautiful art deco places built mm. in the 70s yeah, that's they, right. and the windows are old the you know things are a bit worn but yeah. they are 
they are built like a tank, those things. And, mm. I, and, and, you, and you see places built in 2012, which are already falling to pieces. Mm. And it, the incentives in the industry are, I said to you off air, in fact, you know, it's just like, just build it and flick it, build it and flick it. Doesn't really matter. It's not my problems. I can sort of dust my hands, take the profit and move on. Mm. And, and there's no personal consequences. So, you know, it, it, yes, you, you can achieve perhaps the same thing with, with more regulation and maintenance. I'm not saying we, we don't do that, but I think that sometimes the most obvious elegant solution, and I, I say this knowing it's never going to happen, people, but <laughs> it, I, w- I would do that. I would sort of say as a Productive developer, you've really got, oh, right. you got to pay a bond or something. <laughs> yeah. I, I call it a warranty in, in general terms, such that if, yeah. if, yeah. If, if five years later, or frank, frankly, 10 years later, depending mm-hmm. on what the mm-hmm. defect is, if I'm if I'm living in a place and there's something wrong, there is, there is recourse to be yeah. had. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I don't know. What do you think? I think that's a perfect solution in theory. I think that it's if you're building a tower, so they're going to sell it for thirty million dollars, which is something under the cost or the, um, the, the, the you know what we're putting it up. Maybe it costs a hundred million dollars. Is a hundred million dollars of assets anywhere that someone's going to risk to put up a tower up? No. Does the tower then not get built? I don't know. We talked on Friday about unintended consequences, mate. I think I think that's a perfect solution. I'm not sure whether it's workable given the we've talked a lot about supply and demand and housing recently, but. Would we have enough dwellings built on that basis? I don't know. Um, mm. What I what I do love is your your total cost of ownership idea, mate. And we've talked about mm. cast iron pans and R and women's boots and um, yeah, frankly, great examples. you know the 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 whole Tesla thing. I'm not, I don't own EV. I don't. I might buy one at some point soon. Not soon, soon, but you know, in the foreseeable future, for ten years, something. Um, the total cost of ownership of those things is much lower once you take it, once you drive it off the lot. Than a than a car with an internal combustion engine, and yet uh, those it, it, the, the consumer making the choice. You know, you pay mm-hmm. we go pay extra ten twenty grand for ten twelve grand for that car. Maybe not. You know, there there is a real as humans, we're not very good at the long term costs of these things. I think if we paid a lot more attention, I've I've for a long time said you know double glazing or solar panels on the roofs for new houses just, just makes perfect sense, right? So oh, it's going to mm-hmm. add ten thousand dollars to the price, and they're right. They're absolutely right. A reasonable person would say, but I'm going to pay so much less for electricity or or whatever those things, insulation, those kind of things, right? It just makes perfect sense. Right, exactly. It's cheaper is the short answer is it's yes. cheaper. Yes, over, yeah, over, the, but, but, over but, the cost but, of ownership. But, yep, yeah. yep. But still, do you plan on owning it for like three days or do you yeah. plan on owning it for like 30 years? Like, And yet it's just human nature. Like I, I think that's where I have some sympathy for those people who don't get it because it's hard to get, like get properly. You know, is it, is it, you said someone said, here's the numbers, like, okay, okay, I understand. Yeah, sure. But am I going to still pay that money? It's a really human thing to say. The upfront cost is scary as hell. Um, we've got stamp duty land tax, same kind of thing. We, we've mm. talked about these so many times before. It's just a real thing. So, uh, yeah, I just want to throw those out as additional thoughts. Yeah, I don't disagree yep. with you, mate. I think the only the only reason I think insurance might work is because of the ability to pull those costs and have that insurance met. I, I guess yeah, I'm just a properly thinking, structured insurance scheme. Right, would yeah. Be a, a Actual pretty, insurance run by a proper yeah. insurer set yep. with premiums set properly that is mandatory yes. for the builder. I think that's... Yes. Only, again, you're not wrong that it should be personal assets because it would focus the mind. The reality Wouldn't is... It? Well, yeah. no builder have any assets, right? It'd be in the name of the husband or the wife or, or you know, something else. The company go broke and also there'd be no assets to call on. We all right. know we've seen that happen so many times. So I think in, in theory, you're... The, the angle you take in terms of human nature and human behavior is spot on. We also know the incentives. Uh, the other side of that is that all of a sudden there'd be a whole lot of builders with no assets to their names all of a sudden. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, well, one day when I'm Lord of uh, Australia, it'll happen. But until then, it's, perfect is the enemy of the good. As exactly, they say. exactly. Yeah. 
Uh, mate, interesting question. We're getting very philosophical very early in this podcast, uh, maybe appropriately. This is from Trade Tornado on Twitter. Now, hey, Scott and Andrew, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this idea. It's about the growing trend of younger Australians considering packing their bags and setting up shop in another country instead of staying put in Australia. With the way house prices are skyrocketing, buying a home here is now essentially a pipe dream for most of us. It's a lot of pressure and it's not just about money. It's affecting our mental health, our relationships and more. It got me thinking, are the cons outweighing the pros of staying in Australia? Australia has always been seen as the lucky country, says Trade Tornado, with top-notch living standards, healthcare and education. But now it seems like other countries, which weren't so lucky before, are stepping up their game. Take Japan, for instance, where you can get a home for way less than what you'd pay in our capital cities. And with today's digital world, working remotely from places like Singapore, Qatar, Saudi Arabia, or even Thailand, Vietnam, and Bali are becoming a real possibility. These places might not have the healthcare and safety nets we're used to, but then again, is depending too much on the government really the way to go? Hmm. As a small business owner, he says, I'm, or she, I'm feeling the pinch too. Running a business here comes with a hefty price tag. Thanks to all the regulations, licensing fees, and taxes. It's like you're being penalized for wanting to do your own thing. Oh, the alternative? I love it. I'm like, give me more of this. Straight into the veins. I'm loving everything. The alternative? <laughs> a soul-sucking nine-to-five job, which doesn't sound any better. I'm curious about your take on this whole idea of young Australians moving overseas for a better life. It seems many have already made the move and haven't looked back. Thanks for keeping the podcast awesome, as always. And keen to hear your thoughts. Cheers, Trade Tornado. Some... You know what I find interesting about this one? I'm just going to set this up and ask you your thoughts, man. I'll jump sure. in afterwards. Okay, okay. The, there, is a, there is a very clear problem being illustrated and then a single outcome. Uh, and the, I, I don't know your view. I don't even have necessarily a firm view other than to say the problem can be real without the suggested solution being the right one, potentially, mm-hmm. or maybe mm-hmm. not. What do you think, mate? Oh God, I love I love that question. That's question of the year so far. I loved it. Um, well, the, the the answer is it is it's a personal choice. So I, I can't dictate whether that's what people should do. People will do it if they feel it's appropriate. But I would say what what you can say objectively is that that I mean, there's a sacrifice to moving away from home and your family network and your social network and to areas that don't have the same kind of social services that you might be used to. I mean, there is a big cost to that. But as Trade Tornado rightly points out, there's, there's trade-offs across the board and it, it, it is becoming increasingly more tenable to make some of those sacrifices if it means that you, you can have an, a nice house without massive debt and, and huge financial pressure. I, I can speak from it very personally. Um, we very seriously were looking at Adelaide for a time there. And I, I love Adelaide. I've got nothing bad to say about it. Right? We were thinking of sort of going there, but it would have been a big sacrifice. Mm. The only reason was just because Sydney was just untenable. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I think that over time, particularly with the increased capacity to work anywhere, as long as you've got an internet access, I think people will do it. And we've already said, we've seen it locally. We've seen a lot of emigration from Sydney to Brisbane yeah. and Melbourne and Canberra and, mm. and particularly Newcastle and Wollongong, increasingly the Blue Mountains. Like Tree change, sea change stuff. Yeah, exactly. It's driving people out to where, where if they, housing was half the price, they, they wouldn't be. It's, mm. You know what I mean? So, so yeah, I think it's I think it's a it's a real thing. And let me just give a quick shout out to, it is really tough. As anyone who's listening to this has ever run their own business, how much 
how difficult and unnecessarily difficult things get made. <laughs> and you, you do often at times just go, why am why don't I just go to get a nine to five job at an employer? Because it is it is it is um these these become much more pointy sort of questions, I think, yeah. when when you're in that situation. So anyway, what do you think? I think the issues are you're very on, you're real. On mute. Sorry, mate. I think the issues are very real. Um, I wonder whether... I don't think... I don't... <laughs> We're all biased. Um, I, it would take a lot for me to move out of Australia for family, social, uh, emotional, whatever reasons, right? And for the safety nets and other things that Trade Tornado talks about. I'm, uh, I'm kind of I'm stuck with we have to solve the problems do i think my life would be meaningful better if i was a young person i moved to some of those places don't know i mean people over there live in those places and love it so i'm not going to say no that's what i say it's a personal thing it's not it's yeah. not about you or me you know it's like right. more i just think for more people it will be and it well it is we can see factually like right now and look back right. over recent years like there's been an increasing number of people that do that yeah and will will that continue i I think it kind of does. And I think it's, 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 sorry to cut you off, but I think it's more, it's a very different question when it's a, when it's a live question and it's not a theoretical question. Like when you're in that situation in your 20, you don't have kids, you've got a lot of flexibility, you can work anywhere you want. It's, it's sort of like, Oh man, rent is bleeding me out, and I can't even have a dishwasher that works or a light that yes, turns exactly, on. Yes, exactly, exactly. Or I can live on the beach in Bali. Right, right, right. Uh, yeah, I might do. Even if, it's, not, it's like a permanent thing, right? Like just, I mm. just see it's it's a it, it's a different question when you're there, and that's a real life option. So, yeah, I I just I I don't know, mate. I think as you say, it's it's hard. It's it's absolutely a personal question. I it, it would take me a lot to move. I think we have a, I think, you know, it's, I'm not saying this about Trade Tornado at all, but it's really, really easy to take things we have for granted when we focus only on the things we wish were better or different. Mm. So safety, uh, literal physical safety, safety net, rule of law, language, family, environment. I'm sitting here, it's a beautiful sunny day as we record this. It wasn't yesterday, so it's not always, but, uh, you know, the, the freedoms that we have, the society that we live in. Other places are better till they're not, and maybe they always are better, or maybe they're mm-hmm. always no mm-hmm. worse, and that's fine too. Um, I just, I th- if I think about, if you think about the rest of the world, and think who, who's who's killing? Yeah, you know, people in some of those countries to fall over themselves to get to Australia, you know. Yeah. And we're looking at going. Oh, it'd be good to be over there. Sometimes the grass is greener. Um, what I what I despair about is that to to the point of the question of people are making this decision because they feel like there's no other option in Australia left. And that that's yeah, it's a that, forced you know. your, your hand is forced. I think that's the crux. Sorry, just to clarify, I think that's the crux of it. It's not yeah. like if I had the means to live in a city, Sydney, you know, and and yeah. and still have plenty of discretionary income afterwards to enjoy my life. Yeah. But hell yeah, you know, yeah, I'm not even yeah, I'm not even yeah. contemplating Thailand. Right, but it's it's only in the context of. I'm living in a in a shoebox that's yeah. full of black mold, <laughs> exactly. and and I'm working my fingers to the yes. bone, yes. and I'm eating two minute noodles just to pay the rent. That's exactly. a different question. Exactly. So yeah, mate, I um, it's tough. I I, I don't know what. I, I, again, I'm not going to tell what they should do. Um, I think I think <laughs> I, I'll, I'll do the politician thing and say I don't accept the premise of the question. In other words, we should actually fix the problems, right? Rather than have to say, so this is really rubbish. Should I leave or go? Uh, so I live or stay. Um, we should be saying this is really rubbish. We shouldn't have to have that that question. And it doesn't solve the problem for people in that situation because they can't make it change anytime soon. 
But yeah. the rest of us knows us with any sort of opportunity to influence these things. Probably have a, a reasonably uh, a reasonably significant responsibility to kind of make a make the place a bit better and solve some of those problems so people don't have to make those choices. That would be a, a nice start. And there's lots of, by the way, issues. I guess the other thing, the point I was making about, you know, part, part of why I think it's so expensive, part of it is, is massive immigration, in which case you're kind of back to that point I made before about a whole lot of people wanting to, wanting to be here and some of our yeah. people are thinking about leaving. It's like, Something's really wrong here, you know. If if, if people say I, I desperately want to go to Australia, and a whole lot of people say, "Well, I think I might leave," uh, we're getting something something pretty wrong. Well, I, I will. As an interesting data point to that, there was an article a couple of weeks ago, like um, I think particularly students from India who had come over mm-hmm. for, for all of the great things that we have to offer here, yep. but actually found that no, I've got a better deal at home. Yeah. Right. So they. Yes, yes, that's right. Like it's a thing, mm-hmm. and and just for fun in the past, you know, over the years, I've done, I've. I've looked into it, right? Like just, I'm never going to convince the wife, right? Like, this is, this is <laughs> exactly. Not going to happen. But you mm-hmm. do look at, I mean, Thailand is interesting. Vietnam's another yeah, interesting yeah. one as well. There's actually some reason. I mean, unfortunately in those places, you you have to have a fair degree of wealth to access those yeah. services. But if you have that wealth, yeah. then you have those services. And you, the wealth that you might pick up from here and plant down there. And again, particularly if you can maintain your Australian wage or Australian mm-hmm. income uh, ability, yeah, that's a- you actually find yourself in the top five percent without without having to be a, a surgeon or investment banker or, or, or whatever. And so it's it as I say, it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. But you sort of look mm-hmm. at it and go, "Wow, we could have that house with access to all of these services." And yeah, it'd be a change, but it'd also be an adventure, right? Like, um, and and as I say, mm-hmm. it's 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 all sort of a dreamy sort of thought bubbly kind of thing until it's sort of like I'm moving into my eighth house in 12 yeah, years here yeah. and oh, right, I just can't yes. get ahead. And, yes, and so that, yes. that, 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 that for me, I, I see it as a phenomenon where more people will absolutely do it. I think that's true. Because yeah, uh, they've, they've got no well, choice. Because they've got no choice. Unless they want to hope that someone fixes it and fixes it soon. Correct, correct. I guess my only, my only point is uh, – and again, no, nothing against Thailand or Vietnam, any of those countries you mentioned, mate, but you live, you move there and live in the top 5%, but you're still in the top 5% of those countries, which you have to be comfortable with as an idea. Um, it's like people who say, I, I'd rather be I'd, ra- I'd rather be King George V then, or Eighth or Henry VIII or whatever it was, than, than poor today. It's like, well, be careful what you wish for, because in a relative yeah. sense, you're much richer than anybody else. You still yeah. have a worse standard of living than here. That's a good that point. It's true of those places, just that yeah. you go and they go, hey, I'm rich and I've got no friends and I don't really like the country and I don't feel safe. And again, I'm not saying that is the case for anything about this, other yeah. than I will use PNG for an example. I've been to Port Moresby. It is a, right. it is a very difficult place to imagine living. Now, yeah. if I had all, more money than God, could I live there? Yes, with it's a spectrum, right? Security and whatever, yeah. but yeah, exactly. It's where. What, what do you There's want? To some places are just like really. Da- I'm not going to North Korea, right? Anytime soon. Yes, yes, yes. But but you know, I mean, some of the Asian countries they've developed a very lot. Co- like, they had some of the strongest growth. Anyway, anyway, but I mean, we're 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 arguing. Uh, we're splitting hairs at this at this yeah. point in time. Yeah, mate. Steve asked a question. He says, "So, hi, Scott and Andrew. I love the podcast." And I enjoy trying to predict what Andrew will say about property, financial advisors, and boomers. <laughs> and then in brackets says, "None taken, Andrew." I assume you said it might be a boomer. I'm an old, I'm an old boomer in retirement. <sighs> Sorry, Steve. On Andrew's behalf, I apologise, Steve, for all the horrible things he said about you personally. <laughs> I, I'm an old boomer in retirement, says Steve, and I'm mainly into dividend shares, and it seems to be working well. For years, I tried trading. He says in brackets, I didn't call it that. I just simply bought high and sold low. <laughs> I love it. In short, I've done all the dumb things. God, that'd be a good song. In recent yep. years, I've listened carefully to what you say about ta- value and time in the market. 
I now look at the price earnings ratio, the price to book ratio and earnings per share, as I think these are good fundamentals. These days, I also look at percentage in cash, as I think it helps to find companies that can ride out the storm. This is in brackets and still pay dividends in uh, close brackets. Yeah, nice. Recently, you spoke about enterprise value, which I like the sound of, but I have trouble finding it. I use Comsec, he says, and it's not in the data there. I Googled EV and had a go at trying to calculate it myself, but I'm not sure if I'm getting it right. Even if I am, I'm really not sure what good is E. Yeah, what what, what, sorry, what is a good EV? Yeah. Um, even though I'm example, even though I'm mainly in dividend shares, I still invest in some potential growth stocks, but not more than I can afford to take a loss on. Recently, I bought some Kingston. Everything I thought I knew from listening to you guys is that Kingston should be doing great. P under four, price to book of less than half, and an earnings per share of almost 30%. I don't know what he, maybe earnings yield he might be talking about, I think, rather than EPS. I think it also has an enterprise value of about seven, but I don't know if that's good. Earnings growth is predicted at six cents in 2024. That's 75% of its current price. I suppose this is one of those, what am I missing questions? Seems too good to be true, and that makes me nervous. Or is it simply one of those, the market is stupid things that Andrew mentions occasionally? Hmm. One of the things that makes me feel like everyone else knows something that I don't is that there are far more sellers than buyers. Is this something I should watch? I know you don't give personal advice, but this one share makes me think everything I thought I learned is unreliable or wrong. Thanks again. Love the laughs and the frankness. And that's from Steve. Let's um let's try and get this in some sort of order, mate. Can we go with EV? Enterprise value itself isn't a metric; it's a it's a calculation. I don't know if he's comparing it to anything. He says a, a EV of seven. I assume he means EV to EBITDA of seven. But mm. let's let's just kind of explain EV and then EV to EBITDA, mate, if you would. Yeah. Um, uh, so you you may have heard of market capitalization, mm-hmm. which is you just take the number of shares and you times it by the share price. So it says if you want to buy up all of this company, this is this is how much it, the market is currently telling you that it's that it's worth. How much you have to pay? Yep. Yep. What it doesn't tell you is the capital structure of the business. So you and I might might have identical businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, I might have uh, a huge amount of debt on the balance sheet, right. and you might have no debt and a massive pile of cash. So we've both got now, 10 shares in our company. They're all they're selling for a dollar each. So my market yep. capitalization is $10 and your market yep. capitalization is $10. Yep. But the balance sheets are really, really, really different. Really different. So when you're looking at valuing a business or saying how much is the business worth aside from, because I, in theory, after the fact, I can always change the capital structure. Mm-hmm. If I'm bringing enough capital to this deal, I can pay down the debt. Or if, or if I'm buying it with a company with a lot of cash, I can buy it and then take that cash and just put it in my pocket. I can, I can do whatever I like with it. So what I'm trying to get to with enterprise values, I'm trying to get to a view of like, what is the value of the enterprise, you know, of, of the of the economic uh, entity that is generating a profit, or hopefully generating a profit. So what I do is I take away debt, and uh, well, I add debt, and I take away cash. So the calculation, to your point, is super easy. Start with the market capitalization, add the debt, add all of the, all of the debt that they owe to someone else, and then take away all of the unencumbered cash that they have themselves. Right. And that says with like sort of like. being agnostic to the balance sheet. If Mm -hmm. I just wanted to buy all of the, let's keep it simple and say sort of factories and and, uh, the the machinery and uh, uh, the intellectual property and the lease obligations and everything that I'm going to need to actually churn out whatever widget this thing is churning out, what does that cost? That's enterprise value. Yep. Uh, again, the value of the enterprise itself. I'm just going to put some numbers on it, mate, very quickly to use my example from before. You and I both have a market of $10. Uh, 
uh, I can't remember who you said who had the debt, so I'll say me. I've got, mm. I've got $5 of debt in my business. So if you wanted to buy the business and then pay off the debt, so you're just looking at the business itself without the, the capital structure, you have to pay $15. 10 bucks to buy it and 5 bucks more to pay off the debt. So the enterprise value of my business is 15 bucks. Now, if Ram's got a business that's got a market cap of $10, but he's got $5 of cash on the balance sheet, you buy that business for 10 bucks. You take out the $5, say, thanks very much. What's the business itself worth? The $5 that's left. So, so, so someone paid, cap. yeah, so they paid $15 for your business. Right. Uh, uh, sorry, the, the, the they, they should be, yeah. be sugar yes. because after both of those deals are done, Correct. again, you've got the exact same business. Correct. It's just that one that you ended up net with five dollars, yep. and the other one yep. you had to pay fifteen dollars. Correct. I've got that wrong the wrong way. One you paid five, one you paid fifteen. Yeah. It's really useful. It's a useful concept, and that's why often you mentioned EV to EBITDA before. Yes. So like one of these acronyms that stands for earnings before you count for interest and tax and your depreciation, your amortization. And Charlie Munger called it BS earnings, and for, <laughs> and for good reason. But that's but it what the the valid way of considering it potentially is that it is itself an earnings measure that is agnostic to capital structure. Correct. So that's why where we might, with the market cap, we have the PE. We take the total value of the company and divide it by its net profit. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and with EV, we use EBIT or EBITDA because it's trying to take out that, that capital component to it. So yeah. the real question is, well, what's – okay, so that's what EV means and that's why I'd be interested in it. What's a high or what's a, high, a low multiple? And everything that we've talked about previously with PE ratios, you can cut and paste it. It's it's the same thing, right? Um, anything you'd add? No, other than just to quickly illustrate why EBITDA rather than net earnings or bottom line earnings. And and you've already mentioned talking about taking out the capital structure. The I is the most important part here, which is interest. And again, in the two com- contexts, if you add back the debt, then you have the interest to pay. So you want to look at earnings before the interest. That that's kind of the point of removing that. There's no interest to pay if the debt's been paid off, uh, and the debt has a, has effectively been assumed to be paid off if you add that loan value, the liabilities, to the market cap. So that's why yeah. that's why you use that level. Whether you use EBIT or EBITDA, kind of is irrelevant. And like anything, it kind of doesn't matter which one you use. And even the numbers themselves aren't of themselves. Uh, important it's kind of a relative metric a lot of the time so is, is an ev to EBITDA of seven good or bad neither <laughs> which is really annoying to to say um i don't think you should necessarily remove depreciation and amortization by the way because if the company's got to buy more machines at some other point there that is a real cost so yeah. you're excluding that i think is a mistake taxes similarly you've got to pay taxes either way uh so i I don't, I mean, I very rarely use EV to EBITDA, I have to say. it's mm. uh, Enterprise value is a useful concept because it does make you think about the debt and the cash. Um, to my mind, the price earnings already allows for the interest that's paid on the debt. So it, it's almost in and of itself capital uh, capital structure agnostic. Because as long as the debt can be paid, then the bottom line earnings allows for that. And there's no reason mm. the debt should have to be paid off if the enterprise can carry that debt into perpetuity. So mm. I kind of, I love the I love the thinking. I love the, I love the mental... Uh, journey you have to go on to to think about it and think about why a business with net cash would be cheaper than a business with net debt. It makes perfect sense, right? Mm-hmm. People don't often mm-hmm. think about it a lot. I've used the example before of back in the day, Myra and DJs trading on a similar PE. DJs had a squillion dollars worth, not a couple of million dollars worth of property. Maya had debt. Yet the PE was the same. People say, well, it's all the same, isn't it? It's like, well, no, because there's debt and there's, you know, so that's, it's a useful process. I don't think they've, oh, Ever, you know what? Really, I've never relied on it to value a company. Go on. Uh, I, like when there's when there is um, significant levels of cash or or debt, I think mm. it's more useful. I think it's useful for a comparative basis too. Yeah. 
And I think it's also, I actually think it's quite useful for getting a lens on the economic uh, strength of a business. And what I mean by that is that we've talked, oh, I'm not going too far off topic here, but you may have heard of things like return on e equity, mm -hmm. which is the net profit relative to the net assets of the business or mm -hmm. the equity of the business. But there's also a thing called return on capital or return on assets, in fact, if you want to do that as well, which basically saying, well, what's the return I'm generating against all of the, all of the assets that I'm employing here yep. or the capital that, if you want, that I'm, I am deploying here, what's the return I'm getting? So you do find there are more companies than you'd think that when you look at their return on equity and their profitability and their earnings graph, it actually looks pretty good, but it's been juiced by debt. Mm. And in the same way that you're, if, if I put a 20% deposit on a million dollar house and it goes up <laughs> by 200 right. grand, I've doubled my money on, yes. my, on my equity component. It's the same thing. Mm. So is that good or that bad? Well, it's, it's, it's neither. It, it, it depends. Um, they're, they're like, if you're Sydney airport and you've got all these tangibles, you know, high quality assets, and you can do that and you can do it safely. Why wouldn't you do that, right? Uh, if you're a services company that has extremely lumpy and un unpredictable uh, income, then maybe not, you know? So, and the thing you've got to remember is you can always change it after the fact. That's what PE, uh, private equity often do, where they'll come in to a company with a reasonable balance sheet and just lever it up, take out all the cash and lever it all up to hell. Like the thing still keeps yeah. working, yeah. but they've taken a bunch of cash out of it. But so, so it is, it, look, I always think with investing, we always try and sort of build a little toolkit of ratios and formulas and stuff that are helpful. And that's really valuable to do, by the way. But we've got to remember that it's the holistic view that's the valuable one. No one metric or data point is going to be perfect and they're all going to have their cons as well. So EV to EBITDA is one of them. But I think if you understand what it is it's trying to tell you and you contextualize that with other aspects of the business, mm. yeah, I think it can be helpful. I think that's right. Um, on Kingston, I'm not going to go into detail. It's a resources company, resource, uh, development and exploration based in PNG. Um, honestly, so it's it lost money for the last nine years and made some money last year. Um, I would suspect the market is betting that, well, either the market is betting that it won't keep making money. Uh, and again, thinking about the history, you need to look at the whole history, not just the last earnings. Now, maybe it will, by the way, and that, that would be lovely. And if, it's, if it is, you're probably absolutely right. They probably are going to make a lot of money and the share price would be cheap. And there's plenty of resources companies that have absolutely hockey sticked when they go to be, from being loss-making to being perpetually profitable. There's also more than that who were profitable in a year and then lost money after that. And, you know, we're never seen again. Uh, so I don't know the answer uh, to, to the Kingston problem. You're right to look at it. Um, the, the key with any of these metrics though is to use them based on future earnings, not past earnings. Mm. PE, EBITDA, EBITDA, price to book, um, all, all, the, all these metrics, uh, it only matters the future, not the past. So if this business is going to keep at the same level of earnings forever, then paying less than four times earnings is, is an absolute steal. If it's not, you could end up paying way, way, way too much. Maybe it never makes a dollar again. I don't know anything about Kingston. I'm not making a prediction either way. I'm just saying that's where you can't just look at the historical data of one year and say, therefore, this will be the future. Um, again, for both reasons. Maybe maybe it's even cheaper than it looks because next year's profits are double that uh, or maybe next year's results are a loss and uh, and you lose all you do. So uh, yeah. I don't know. Um, plenty of investors in Kingston probably have their views. Uh yeah, just, just just tread carefully, but look at the long-term trend and look at the likely future returns. And by the way, if you're not sure about the future, it's okay to give it a pass. Yeah. I'd look at this I'd look at this and go, huh, If I, like I've just said, if earnings stay at this level, it looks like it's steel. Will they? I don't know. Okay, I'll move on then. Uh, it can feel like you, you're, you're missing a, you're walking straight past a, a, a fantastic deal, and you might be, or you might walk straight past a disaster. You won't know until, until time passes. Yeah, usually you need to be 
doesn't mean the market. I mean, the market is crazy from time to time. But <laughs> you, your default assumption has to be you're the one that's wrong, and you, the, the onus on proof, the burden of proof, is on you to say no, no, no the market is wrong. Yep. So the market. And there's a lot of eyes on this thing. Even the smallest of companies, there's going to have a few hundred pairs of eyes sort of looking at it and making Mm. judgments on it. And a lot of people who are just much closer to the company, frankly, and know it a lot better. Mm. And they are saying it's only worth four times trailing earnings. Um, They might be wrong, Mm. but or they might they might think, well, actually, we're not going to get earnings. I'm just having a quick look through the Prezo actually, and. You know, it looks like it's, it's an exploration company. Their share count has exploded over the years. They've had to do raise after raise after raise to sort of yeah, stay so. And yeah. maybe, and maybe they're on on the cusp of something that that's great. But that's the question you've got to ask yourself here: is like, what are the earnings going to be, and when are they going to come? And then look at the share price in that kind of context. And and don't forget too that you need money to make money. So they might have ten billion dollars of gold under the ground. Well, it's under the ground right now. It needs to be brought to the surface and purified and transported, and, the, and that's ex- phenomenally expensive. So, mm. uh, yeah, uh, uh, yeah, that's all. I, that's all I've got to say. No, I like it, mate. Hey, um, question from Cam, uh, who says, "Oh, sorry, ra- sorry, oh, mate, sorry. Go. I just one more thing. I thought was yeah, really an, an interesting part from from Steve. He said there at the end, is it all? Isn't it all just supply and demand in regard to the shares? And like, it actually is. Like that, that's it." Like full stop, that's the shortest answer you can give. It doesn't matter how crazy or rational the market is being. You know, the price is where people who want to sell yep. meet the people who want to buy it. Yep. And it's on the margin. And, it, and that doesn't you talk about anything. That's yep. that's exactly what it is. Which talks um, about the price, not the value, of course. And that's the, that's the trick is sometimes yep. the point at which they meet will be an extraordinarily great deal. Yes. Sometimes the point at which they meet will be an absolutely terrible price. Yes. Your job as an investor is to either, well, to, to either work out which is right or wrong or simply not choose to play that game if you don't know the answer. Your bet implicitly is that the market as a whole in aggregate is not is wrong now, yes. but will be right in the future. <laughs> which which is own special hubris, isn't it? it that's what you're because you're saying. Well, I expect the company to do this. It's like, well, yep. the company not only has to do that, but that has to enthuse the market enough where there is more buyers than or, you know more demand than supply, and the price yep. goes up. Like you, that, you can't get you can't get away from Correct. all of that. I think we can try and pretend that we're a bit more uh, sophisticated than than just the the chart jockeys and the and the traders and whatever mm-hmm. by just saying that. Look, the market does have distortions, thank goodness, all the time. But it does tend to be rational over time, and it over might take a while exactly. for the real yep, for the yep. for the world to realize that Kingston is sitting on a gazillion tons of gold, and they're going to make a fortune tomorrow. And if that's the case, then by all means, do it. But that's the question you've got to ask. Just quickly, too, mate, I want to add to that only to remind listeners that that very dynamic we talked about is exactly why you shouldn't expect your shares to do well, and in fact, why you probably should expect them to fall after you buy them. Yes, because you think about it, right? You are yeah. you are looking the rest of the market square in the eyes, saying, "I'm right, you're wrong." Na 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 na. And then tomorrow, when the market still thinks it's right and still thinks you're wrong, the price yeah. doesn't go up. And the week after that, why would the price go up? The market still thinks it's right and still thinks you're wrong. Mm-hmm. And the yeah, it's not, it's not going to come to the same epiphany that moment that you know the day after you did, right? And in fact, if the market doesn't like it, it's probably going to dislike it more. Almost not exactly by definition, but it's it's taken a it thinks it's worth this price. So if mm-hmm. you think about if you think about the the way that would play out, I would suspect that if your if your if your aim is to say, I think the market is most wrong about these companies. That's why I'm buying them mm. relative to the real underlying value. It's probably a better chance they go down than up, almost by definition. Now yep. you say, well, okay, I wouldn't buy it then. Well, if you don't do that, you never get the chance to buy the bargain. So yep. it's it's why it's a difficult case. But it's when you when you buy, you know, we regularly laugh about the fact that we jinx it when we buy shares. Of course, they go down the next day. Obviously, 
yeah. I'm not, it's not a 90-10 thing. It might be a 51-49 thing. But either way, if, the, if you're saying the market's wrong, don't expect the market to change its mind or realize its mistake just because you bought the shares. It, just, yep. it doesn't work that way. And so you're going to have to wait for the market often to realize, well, you could be wrong firstly, but if you are right, the market's going to have to come around and that can take some time. And that's okay. That's how it works. Yep. The other thing is, if you say the market is wrong today, don't wonder why your share price has got up tomorrow. Because if you say, I bought it at 40 cents, still 40 cents tomorrow. Or when you get to tomorrow, you say, it's still 40 cents today. What you're saying is, yes, I thought the market was stupid. Today, I'm letting the market tell me what to think. Yes. Which in itself is its own very special cognitive dissonance. Completely normal, completely natural. Everyone does it. But have a yep. think about exactly what you bought shares because you thought the market was wrong. And then you, then you overnight decided the market was suddenly right. And I should use, I should judge my investment based on what the market now tells me. Yep. That, is, that is a special... A special type of kind of craziness that, again, I'm not blaming it. We all do it. But if you think through the logic of that, if the light bulb goes off, you're like, oh, man, yeah. yeah. You'll, st- you'll start thinking very, very differently about share prices. Yeah, look, and I, I can tell you, um, look, we, we love to tell share war stories. You know, yes. there's all kinds of bad investments that I've made. I'm sure I'm <laughs> holding more than a, my share of dogs at, at the moment. Mm. But there have occasionally been ones that have gone right. Mm. And, and I can say- pretty much without exception that all the ones that went right, even the ones that went really right, they went really wrong in the, in the months afterwards in, in terms of just the, 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 the brutal reality of the share price. It's like you kind of feel as though this isn't so bad. There's got a decent future here. You buy it, you get more excited, you do more research, you get more conviction, the price gets lower, you buy it, you buy it, you buy it. And it is, it is hard to do. And then you kind of think, no, but that's, that's what Buffett says. I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. Yeah, well, six months later, 12 months, 18 months later, and it's still yeah. down, you know, like the demons come at night and they really start to haunt you. But but it's a, always a gradually and a suddenly thing with these mm-hmm. things. In my, I don't know about you, mate, but that, it feels like that's – and I, I think when you look at all of the great winners, if you want to like yes. cherry pick the yes. ASX and you go, oh, look, it started at a dollar and now it's $200. Yeah, but it, it didn't just go and then it was $2 and then it was $3. <laughs> it, it was $5 and then it was $3 and then it was a dollar. And then it was $8 and then it was $7. And it was just, it is, it is, it is unavoidable. But that, I think, the only reason I'm hammering on about it so much is I think really at the end of the day mm. with all that we do, given that the wealth of data and analysis and education and everything that is out there right now, if you're a quote unquote retail investor, mm-hmm. you know, uh, out there with your little portfolio as, as me and Scott are like trying, you know, against this giant, mm-hmm. you know, capital machine, the only advantage, I think the real genuine advantage you can have is one of temperament to be mm-hmm. able to sort of say, I will look through that. I will get the big returns and the, 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 the chunk of my soul that I will pay <laughs> will be the many, many months of, of looking like an idiot. Yeah. And and it is normal. Now now be careful here. That doesn't mean you you should just always hang on to something because it's not going bad. Sometimes the thesis just isn't playing out and the underlying business is not doing what you're doing and you you really need to get out of that situation. But so long as the investment case remains true and you've got that temperamental advantage, I mean you might not be Warren Buffett, but I bet I guarantee you you outperform the market. Correct. Motley Fool Money. For more, subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. Mate, let's go to a question uh, from Cam. Ask on Ram, love your show and the down-to-earth not advice that you provide each week. I really enjoy listening to both episodes back-to-back on a Sunday. Makes the errands go a little easier. They must be really bad errands. I have a question for the mailbag regarding inheritances or windfalls in general. If you were to receive a large sum, say maybe half a million, 
what would you do with it? I feel it's a good number to pick as it's enough to change your life, but also not enough that you could afford to do ridiculous things. I love that. An easy, unsexy answer is just to put it towards the mortgage, right? But I personally feel a better option would be to even just whack it in something like an Australian top 200 index and just use the quarterly dividend payments towards the mortgage repayments instead. Or just YOLO it into Bitcoin, I guess, with a smile. <laughs> a third option would be an even split between the above-mentioned fund and a simple S&P 500, as well as 50-50, so you can just capture a nice chunk of growth for the future. Or would you still somehow stick to slowly deploying it across ASX companies? How would you think about optimizing the use of a large sum of money like this so as not to waste a potential once-in-a-lifetime opportunity? Full-on yep. Cam. So Cam, the, the, the real key word there was at the end, opportunity, because everything in investing in life, there's an opportunity cost. And the answer is you should like, so the, the textbook sort of theoretical answer would be, you should deploy that capital where it gets the highest relative risk adjusted return on investment. Now that is the most unsatisfying answer ever, but it's the, <laughs> it but is it is the technically true one. The most and boring why, answer in the world, but go on. And why it's, why, it's, why it's frustrating is because, well, okay, Einstein, you tell me what the next best performing asset is. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. So for me, and so this is just me, but if I was in a situation where I had a lot of debt, say mm-hmm. a mortgage, and that was causing a bit of you know stress and anxiety, I think there is a huge return on investment paying that thing down. Mm-hmm. Even though technically, if I put it all into Bitcoin in ten years' time, I'd be laughing, right? You know what I mean? Like it's sort of, it, it, it that is a personal subjective analysis. Is and it's not it's not going to show up in any cash flow analysis, but it's still, I think, a valid one. Yeah. Um, there'll be other people. It's like actually, I've got a really solid job. I earn a, I earn some good money. I'm actually not worried at all about covering this debt. This is actually something that I can deploy. And then, well, where's, where is the best return that I can get for the effort and my expertise and all of that? And that, and that becomes a sort of a separate conversation. Um, but yeah, for a lot of people, I think, I think we do as a society ride a little bit too close to the edge. We love to have all of our chips on the table. Um, but there's something to be said for a bit of padding in life, I yeah. think. And e- even if it's not most purely the ras- economic rational thing to do. Yeah, I, I keep it worrying it's a two, Cam. Um, you mentioned 50-50, mate. I, I, think, I think that's kind of right to, for me. Um, I, along the lines of what Ram said, but a slightly different take or a slightly different angle is, is, I think it was Bezos or Jobs or somebody, one of those people, talking about having a, the regret minimization framework, which yeah. is simply, I if I do these things, which one will I regret least? And I got to say, here's the, here's the thing about a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. It's kind of like superannuation once you retire. That's the most you're ever going to have. Now you'll add, you'll add more to your savings, but but in terms of you know you're, let's say let's say you got you won a lotto, you had an inheritance, whatever happened, you got half a million bucks. You won't get another one of those, right? So your job is to use it in such a way that you don't regret what you do, and frankly, you don't muck it up. At some point, as you're adding capital, you can afford to take more risk because the first ten dollars I invest, if I blow it up, I can add another ten dollars tomorrow. If I was lucky enough to have that half a million dollar portfolio, I'd make it a million dollars then the downside of losing the million, it's hard to add another million if I really screw that up, right? And that's kind of when you start to think about, you know, the, the cost. The, the further you are away from zero, frankly, the more you tend to want to preserve rather than grow because you know instinctively how hard it is to get that back. Now, I don't know too many people who will, after getting a windfall, be able to replace that windfall, then more 
speaking about opportunity cost and, and, and time, even if you were adding more to it to save that much again would take decades. Mm. And so your kind of number one job, I reckon, I can't give you advice, mate, but it's, it's kind of not to, not to blow it up. And, and this is where I kind of come to where the behavioral stuff trumps the, the theory. Because if you put half a million dollars into shares and the market falls 38% as it did in March 2020, now hopefully we don't have that again, or at least not for a long time. Well, those of us with cash probably like a chance to buy some shares, but uh, your, your half a million dollars would have fallen to 320,000 bucks. Now, <laughs> 310,000 bucks. Mm. Now, at that point, if you went, oh my God, what a stupid thing to do. I might just take it out now so it's safe. I'll put it in cash. You, Chris, now, I'm not saying you would do that, Cam. I'm just saying for anyone listening, as a group, somebody's going to do that. Now, are you so sure that's not you? Are you so sure you would do it correctly? I don't know. Uh, and so add, add to that about Ram's padding thing. There is There is a heap of psychological mental emotional uh value I, i've said before ages ago i haven't been through this for a while mate um we we paid down a chunk of our mortgage rather than this is a few years ago now uh, rather than rather than investing the money i am sure i would have done better financially if i would invested the money over a, a compound future period not necessarily between then and now probably but probably maybe not but over 40 years do i reckon that money would have been better if invested rather than paid a mortgage? yes financially theoretically absolutely why do we do it because there's nothing that beats the psychological benefit of saying, at least I've paid that off. Because now, worst comes to worst, I, I can, I guess, redraw if I need it or sell the house, we've got some equity or whatever. Just mean you can sleep at night. You won't worry about what if I lose my job? What if the Motley Fool gives me the risk? What if, you know, whatever whatever happens, uh, I, I'm okay. And, and so that, that you can't put a price on that. Uh, it depends on your age. depends on your family situation. As Rams already said, depends on your income capacity, all that kind of good stuff. I have to say... And this is why it's hard, right? So me personally, if I was, if I had inherited half a million dollars tomorrow, I would, I would invest it all in shares, and I would, um, I would probably invest. Uh, for me personally, I probably put half an index fund and half an in individual stocks. Probably what I would do, I guess. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about this mm -hmm. on the fly, but let's go with mm -hmm. that. Now, that's me being an old bastard, uh, having paid a decent chunk of the mortgage. All, all the stuff that kind of goes with that, right? So I'm in a very different situation. Um, I also know myself, I've been through April 2020. I know I'm not going to do anything stupid, and I don't mean that in a critical sense, and sell shares at the bottom or invest in some high-flying stock that I might triple overnight and then all of a sudden it doesn't, I lose it all. Um, I know myself. If this was my sister, who I love dearly, who was not an investor, would I want her to put half of individual stocks that she chose herself? Probably not. Not because she's dumb, not because she's stupid, not because she can't do it, but she, she doesn't have the, the experience in the market as an analyst. She doesn't know what it's like to go through those gut-wrenching falls and go, oh my God, what do I do? She'd probably do better than me, frankly. But would I suggest it? No, because I don't think that's right for her. Now, I can probably give her personal advice because she's my sister, but I can't give it to you, Cam. Um, so that's kind of the uh, that's kind of the, the scenario. I think um, I would, to Ram's point, with that much money, give yourself the permission to be flexible and be conservative is, is what I would probably counsel most people to do. Can I say the wrong thing that we yes. should say as well? Yes. Have a bit of fun. 
<laughs> yeah, to, that's a good point. Go to Disneyland. You know, yep. you just got oh. half a million dollars. Yes. Take the family yes. to Disneyland. I don't know. That's a, that's a random example and probably the last place I'd want to take the family. But anyway, <laughs> my point being is like, splash yep. it around. You know, you don't, I, I would, you know, don't, don't go out and buy three Ferraris and trash them. That's dumb. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But you got to, you, again, money, money is, money is a tool for, for use. And I, I think sometimes you've got to treat yourself. I think that's perfect, mate. It's a great, great piece of advice. Um, Tim says, G'day, Scott and Andrew. Love the podcast. Been listening for a while, and it gives me hope there are still some sensible folks that can have grown-up nuanced discussions exploring alternative points of view, which contribute to a more worthwhile conversation and understanding of the subject matter. Thank you, mate. This unfortunately seems not to be the norm these days, says Tim, from many politicians and media outlets, but that's a bigger rant for another day. <laughs> My question relates to structuring family finances. Ah, oh, see, this is what I love, Tim. The opportunity to uh, say something your wife's not going to agree with and earn her perf- permanent uh, uh, enmity. My <laughs> wife and I, says Tim, are in our early 40s with a young family, bastards, and nearly paid off the mortgage after many years, focused on extra payments to maximize the benefit of what were very low rates. Spectacularly done, mate. Good job. Smart. Our current plan is to keep the home loan active. He says it has no ongoing fees with a very small repayment and the small remaining balance interest offset. This will give a sizable rainy day reserve available through the loan redraw if we ever needed, but will also be relatively out of sight. This would be paired with a small amount of cash savings increasing over time. We also have a high growth robo advice fund, which we plan to increase our dollar cost averaging amounts with some of the extra cash flow. We're pretty happy with it as it has low capped fees and makes tax time very easy. Is there anything else to consider with this type of approach? Are there any gotchas that we should be aware of? Thanks for your weekly dose of sanity. Rant on. All the best, Tim. Yeah. You saying, uh, no, I mean, just so spectacularly done. I mean, it would have been very easy in that scenario to the moment you got any equity to uh, roll into another property and- just look at YouTube, right? Like this, everyone's doing it, right? We're making money for nothing here. Um, and frankly, you would you'd financially be much better off if we're just looking at the historical record. You know, it, it turns out if I know what ball, you know, mm-hmm. what color the roulette ball is going to land on, I, I'm, I'm going to do very well. So it's easy to sort of say in, in hindsight. But I still applaud it because I think what it gives you is such incredible optionality and flexibility. I do the same. You know, I, I don't like having debt, but I, I would keep I would keep that redraw alive for anything that might come mm. along. Mm. Um, and I would tip any other savings into, you know, we, we could, again, de- debate mm. around the edges of exactly how you deploy that into equities. But I, I can't fault what you're doing. Dollar cost averaging into a reasonably low cost exposure to growth stocks. Yeah, sure. Um, it, 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 there's, there's nothing wrong with that mm. whatsoever. Mm. Um, uh, and 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 not to say that you can't judiciously use some of that equity for investment purposes, even if it is another property. I'm not I'm not that ideological, right? But as long as as long as you can be done, where you're not up to the eyeballs and the slightest wobble is gonna is gonna undo all of that years and years of hard work and paying mm. extra money and sacrifice can be undone in an instant. So I think you got a lot. I think you got a lot of options on your plate. I think you're in a complete. In, incredibly anti-fragile, robust position financially, no matter what comes your way, even to the extent such as the such as the situation that you could probably afford to be, I'm not suggesting this, but I'm just, you know, you could probably afford to be a little bit more aggressive uh, with, with, with some of the access to that capital. So yeah, well done, well done. And But there's not much I can do other than some fine tuning. And that would only be in, in, in the context of what I felt was appropriate to me and not, might not work for you. So yeah, hats off. 
Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump on that, out, mate. Uh, Tim, you've got it sorted. Um, but you're asking for some thoughts. I'll give you some thoughts, just by, as as devil's advocate or, or alternatives to consider and, and weigh up. Uh, first thing is, I would be inclined. You you can always if if you have a structural reason with enough time to do it, you can always remortgage the house should you need to. Mm-hmm. Um, the only reason you need to have a redraw available is if you have an unexpected, large, and sudden need for the cash. I would encourage you to think about the, we just finished talking about this, the psychological and emotional benefits of actually having the mortgage paid off and the title in your hot little hands. So, you know, you should have a decent emergency fund, rainy day fund. But if I got to a point where I was like, well, okay, I've got X dollars, whatever that is to you, six months expenses, something like that, in a, in a rainy day fund, you say, right, that's done. And what I say expense, I mean, I mean, you know, essential ex- expenses, not, you know, the 15 uh, streaming services and whatever else. But, you know, if you, if you knew you could pay the, the, the fuel, the uh, energy, the food, uh, whatever else for, for six, you paid off the mortgage in theory for six months. Uh, it's nice to have, oh, again, this is a, this is a, it's a, a personal preference thing, right? Do you want to have the, the, the comfort of knowing the redraws there if you want it? Or do you want to have the comfort of knowing the mortgage is paid off and the title is in your hot little hands? Choose for yourself. I, I would I would just add Ram second one view. I would add the other. It's almost devil's advocate, but with a slight preference, I suppose. Um, as long as you've got enough rainy day fund money, uh, keeping up the redraw only makes you tempted to spend it or use it. <laughs> and I think there's some there's some real value in A, saying it's ours, it's ours, no one can take it away. And B, um, if we want to buy the new car, we can't just tap the redraw. Uh, now, you may not, and that's great, but some people will, even though they promise themselves they won't. Uh, so just be be mindful of that. I, I um, would say I think that it's an excellent point, right? That you said before, know yourself. Yeah. Um, given given Tim's track record, though, right? Like totally. He's, he he seems like the kind of character that wouldn't wouldn't be frivolous. I guess I think that's absolutely true. Um, in terms of the DCA, yeah, go for it. Um, if you look like the Robo Advice Fund, go for it. Uh, you say it's capped fees, which is great, and that's fine. Um, the alternatives would be again. This is just the alternative for the sake of it because you asked. Um, a plain vanilla ETF on the ASX with effectively zero fees. I mean, they have fees come out of the fund, but there's no money to pay on top of that. And they're not trying to give you advice. So at some point, the index fund should be cheaper than the robo-advice fund. The thing I would say about some of these things, and again, I don't know which fund it is, which is good because I don't have to uh, catch my my words or or whatever, is the fund, It's the the robo-advice section may have low fees. But if you you may be paying a double level of fees as well. If if they're putting you into ETFs that have their own fees, just remember you're paying two lots of fees. Uh, which is probable with some of these things. If they say you should get 50% NASDAQ ETF and 50% Vanguard or uh, beta shares ASX 200, that's fine. But you're probably paying the robo advice for, for the robo advisor for fees and then you're paying fees on the ETFs they're putting you into as well. So there, there probably is a second layer of fees just to be mindful of. Again, is it reason not to? No. If you're happy with it, go for it. Just just think about that double layer, which you could save if you if you were comfortable to do your own thing. If you're not, I've said lots of times, um, advice is expensive until it actually saves you from making mistakes that cost you more. So if it works for you and the robot advice works, then uh, stick with it, go with, go with it, knock yourself out. Yep. Ram, one from Francisco. <laughs> he says, Francisco, and I love the property discussion today. I'm not sure when that was, uh, relatively recently. <laughs> Almost uh, any, any week oh, there's yeah. a property. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, I was going to say that. It's Australia, come on. What else now, are we going to talk about? Francisco has not been listening to you, Ram. Uh, you, you have been asserting for years that somehow I'm vetting these questions based on positive feedback and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> he just says, straight into it, please. There's no, there's, okay. no, there's no. So I'm going to ask this question because it's the right thing to do, Andrew. Okay, Not because good. contrary to your skeptical views, I only ask questions <laughs> where they say nice things about us. I'm just about to apply with the ATO 
for an SMSF registration, says Francisco. Just your thoughts, please, since I know the choice is ultimately mine. A couple of questions. Is an Aussie tech ETF better or economically safer than a USA tech ETF? Secondly, if you're going to invest your savings at age 60 and keen to include a medical or health company or two in your diversified spread, which of the following would you exclude? Ramsey or a similar private health company? Uh, sorry, sorry, similar private hospital property listed company. ResMed, CSL and or Ram's favourite, starting with P. Uh, he said also, is there a glaring health or medical sector omission I made here? That's from Francisco. So first things first, mate. Is an Aussie tech ETF better or economically safer than a USA one? I'd say no, but I don't know. Um, I mean, it depends on the companies that are in the yeah. ETF. So let's look at the Aussie landscape in terms of what's listed here. We've got some pretty good, we've got some pretty good tech companies. We punch above our weight for a small, you know, two percent of global GDP. We do okay. Kiwis do great as well. If I'm even, if I'm allowed to compliment our our cousins, um, but Gen- generally the, not. No. Yeah, not. Yeah, yeah I, should, no. I, 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 um, <laughs> I messed up there. Um, do they compete with Silicon Valley? I don't know. Given given some of the network effects at play, <laughs> given the resourcing they have for R and D, you know, you got you got a company like Meta that's sp- spending like nine billion dollars a year on developing goggles, right? Like it just, yeah, yeah, you just can't compete with it. So whatever the next whiz bang gadgetry mm. that hits the world <laughs> could come out of a garage in Bankstown. I have no idea, but it's probably going to come out of like a, a a mega tech company in the US. Um, so I. You know, but I don't. Who knows? Who knows? It, it's hard to predict where the next breakthrough comes and, and and the industry that grows up around that and who the economic uh, agents are in in that mix. It's it's so hard. It's so hard. But I would lean. I would lean probably towards that. I think we can call it a center of excellence when it comes to to modern tech. Yep. Especially with AI, right? Like that's the only game in town basically going forward, and and mm. it's all happening there. I think that's right. Um, I would say we, we made the point on Friday about Microsoft and the fifteen years in the wilderness share price wise. So mm. um, again, and you said on Friday too, mate, separating the business from the share prices. Yes, important. yeah, good point. Now, look, good point. I own so so I, I, fair uh, disclosure. I own a Nasdaq ETF units in that. I don't so own I. an Australian tech ETF, so I, I'm no. my my money is probably where my mouth is to some degree. Um, the problem, I suppose, if you're saying, right, you're investing it now and then it's going to be, you know, an investment forever from this point, do I know for sure that, uh, you know, one or the other will outperform the other for the foreseeable future and thereafter? No. I'm with Ram, though. Uh, I've said it lots of times. It feels like a marketing line, which I kind of shrink from. But these are the companies that are inventing the future, right? Like, mm. there's some cool Australian tech companies doing little, little, really cool little stuff around the edges. And it's great because yeah. you're in this market. You're doing a great job of that. Technology One's a great company doing enterprise resource planning software for councils and governments and healthcare. Like, it's yeah. a really... It's, a, it's, it's a been a great niche, success, but, actually. Right. Yeah. And, and, and great, but it's kind of niche-ish. Versus, as you say, mate, Meta, which owns Facebook trying to invent virtual reality, you know, yeah. or, or Amazon trying to colonize the world with the e-commerce or, yeah. you know, the, the sheer size of these things. I own Amazon shares. Um, it, it's it, So look, I think I, I'm with I'm with Ram. I think the US is far more likely as a, as a group of companies to outperform. I dare say those companies probably end up with a bit more froth and bubble in their share prices and a bit more mm-hmm. pessimism in their share prices from time to time. So mm-hmm. I wouldn't I wouldn't want to say at this particular point this is the you know, this is from this point this is definitely gonna be a winner. But mm-hmm. man, if you think about twenty years in the future and say, where are the best businesses? You know, by the time you're you're eighty, Francisco, yep. uh, where are the best businesses in the world gonna be in the tech space? Probably the US. Will, yep. will we have twenty years of underperformance? I wouldn't expect so. 
yep. so I would I would do that again. You can always do both, right? There's no there's no need to choose yeah. one or the other, but a very 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 different set of businesses and can, very different I, scale. Go. I, I, sh- I share. I, um, gosh, I'm not going to be able to give it the the proper um, uh, credit here because I forget where it was. But I read an article recently talking about the potential for SaaS disruption. So anyone who's been right. investing for a while remember the SaaS wave, right? We all went to the cloud. Like it seems so passe now, but at the time, at the time I was like, ooh, what's the cloud? How does that work? And, you know, I mean, I don't have to get a floppy disk and, and put it in the computer and, and, and run my software locally. Like, Kids, ask and, your parents. Yeah, yeah like, it, it, you know, but, but there was a time before that. And, and <laughs> I, I'm happy to say I did very well out of that boom. That was, that was great, right? That was a really nice uh, disruption. D- yeah. Industry disruption creates a lot of opportuni- opportuni- opportunities. One of the really cool use cases of AI has been in aiding of development, of, of coding, of, of programming. Mm-hmm. So where it was once, and it's largely, you need to learn a whole other language besides just sort of having the mathematical mind to do it. It's it, There's a lot of developers out there, some really great developers that are out there, but you and I, Scott, are not coding up a bit of software <laughs> anytime really soon. No. Uh, we might be able to though, in really only a year or two, where in fact, there's already some really cool demos out there where I can just say, make me a page that looks like this. And I can iterate on that. I'm, I'm oversimplifying here. Mm-hmm. So, so one of the, the, the article was making the point that it's sort of like, unless there's something else to the offering, like if it, maybe there's a network effect because it's a social platform or something like he says with bias, <laughs> with someone who runs a, an online social platform. But, but unless you've got something up above just the value of the software itself, you'll probably be disrupted because someone else will be able to spin up a pretty great version of it very quickly. It may have taken you, and, and look, trust me, for someone who's built software before, it's a lot harder than you think. It takes a long time. You got to pay very high paid developers a lot of money to make it all sort of happen. When I've got an army of developers who are all excellent and I mm. pay a $20 a month subscription fee to access them and I'm, you know, there's there's a there's a million kids in their mum's basement hacking away like th- there is the potential for a real flood of new apps in low cost high quality to flood the market. So there's I think there's a lot of tech companies on the ASX which will struggle to have a point of difference when they're trying to sort of sell software at a $900 a year subscription, for example, mm, mm. when there might be someone perfectly happy to sell it for $1 a year <laughs> and just get, get and like that, 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 that mm-hmm. technological price deflation is yes, a risk. That's right. So tech, yeah, on um, IT, I think that often, often have very powerful network effects and a lot of power sort of cruise to the top of these mm. stacks in mm. a lot of ways, but- but things move very, very fast. And that's one thing to be wary of as an Australian tech investor on the ASX is just how quickly the landscape can, can kind of change. Do you remember Reckon? Reckon before zero was a great little that's company. Right. had it a was. wonderful history. Yeah, well, I owned shares at one point for me. I owned shares in it. Yeah. And it didn't do well for me no. because <laughs> they, they were late to the, yeah. to the SaaS party in, in the transition. But they, mm-hmm. were, they had everything going for them, everything going for them. And someone found a way to deliver the exact same bit of software much easier and much better Correct. and imagine if you and i can now spend a weekend with some ai agents building a better zero does that put zero out of business mm-hmm. no i don't think it does but for a lot of people running businesses who want accounting software who look at some of the fees that zero is able to charge i think well maybe i don't know it, the future is in flux is all, is all i'll say correct and that's always the case mate healthcare is interesting um you ask companies to exclude to about ramsey resmed csl or your favorite starting with p promedicus i think we can assume yeah uh, I would throw in Cochlear as one business in that space that uh, that Definitely. In, in, include. I think that's probably 
I, I'm going to say that is the lowest risk of the five, in my opinion, which is interesting, but you may have a different view. Um, I don't own it, um, but I've recommended it before. Um, which would you exclude, Matt, out of that out of that list? I can't give an honest answer because I just haven't done the work. Right. I, 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 I'll give some thoughts from the hips, but just take them for what they're worth, right? <laughs> because the real, the, you know, you... You need to have a variant perception to the market, you ne- mm. and you're only going to get that if you've actually spent a, a bit of time investigating it, looking True. at it. what does CSL yep. do. Like, ask the man in the street what do they actually like, what do they <laughs> literally actually do? Name the different business units, name the economics, name their major competitors, name the markets yep. in which they operate. Like you know, and and and, and I just haven't done that for a long time. So mm. it's going to be like all I can base it on is is they're all they've all got a long history of a wonderful uh, wealth creation. They're all, yeah. I think, deeply sort of moated kind of companies. I think they'll all be around. So it's a, it's a hard one to, to sort of exclude on that basis. And a big part of it would be the valuation. If it wasn't for the valuation, Prometicus, anytime. They've got the far best margins. They've got the far longest runway. They've got the far best economics. They've got the far best management. You know, like mm-hmm. the, the, the most scalable cost space. I can go on and on and on about Prometicus. Mm-hmm. But it's at a P of 120 or something. <laughs> you know, it's just like I can't. Yeah. It's, yeah. You know, uh, so it's a really wimpy answer. I'm sorry, but that's the answer. I guess which one you exclude that, not which one you would choose. Do you have a oh, so maybe Ramsey? Maybe Ramsey yeah. because it, it's. It, I understand. I haven't looked again. I haven't looked at it for a while, but I'm, from memory, they've got a lot of property and a lot of debt to support that kind of property. And so it's not necessarily. I mean, there's a lot of advantages to not having to lease and the rest of it. And, but but there are costs and risks and everything around that. And they operate. I think there's like big European operations and stuff. Uh, it's so. But but yeah, take 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 this with a large grain of salt because there'll be people <laughs> who know these companies well going. You're an idiot. You, what you don't understand is X, Y, and Z. So yeah. yeah. I would also exclude Ramsey, actually, mate, which is disappointing because it means that uh, there's nothing exciting to, to say about it, particularly for all the reasons you've said. This is a very large capital-intensive business, very hard to move the dial in terms of growth from this point because it's already so big, but also there's not particularly great financial uh, components. It is well, You know what I love about the question? Francisco's highlighted it beautifully. He's called it a private hospital property-listed company. Oh, there you exactly go. what there it you is. Go. Right. And I think okay. you know the, the what I find fascinating is the things we call, a bit like tech. We say tech, I've said before, there's a massive range of what is really tech and none of it's really real. It's all, it's retail, happens to use yep. technology or it's, you know, consumer goods that happens to sell a, a, a product that has a computer chip in it. Um, uh, these companies are very, very, very different, you know. Uh, even frankly, ResMed, is it healthcare? I mean, it makes machines. <laughs> You know, like, it, it, is a consumer product or is it healthcare? Well, I don't know, you know. Does it help your health? Yes. Okay. What's an, what's an Apple watch if it has, you know, ECG monitoring? Uh, is it a timepiece or is it, you know? And I don't mean to be deliberately obtuse. I guess I'm just making the point that these big, big, you know, terms, again, putting, putting Prometicus in with CSL, again, think about the difference between those two businesses. Um, I'm not saying either is right or wrong, but it's a very, very, very broad brush to call them all healthcare. Yeah. Um, funnily enough, Prometicus is probably more a tech company than a healthcare company and plenty of other companies called tech companies probably retail companies, right? So you think, well, what is it really? Um, I, uh, Francisco, I'm going to quickly just take, a, uh, again, uh, as I like to do, um, reject the premise of the question. Uh, do you need any healthcare companies? Maybe. Do you need three of the four? Probably not. In fact, almost by definition, you add that to other stuff. Uh, how many sectors, how many companies do you need your third best healthcare business? Maybe. If there's three, if there, if there are three great healthcare businesses and they're all better than every other com- idea you've got, go for it. 
if your best healthcare business is your 25th best idea, you probably don't need any of them. Uh, so I, I will I will kind of just start by taking a slight, or not start That's by, a good point. add to that by taking a slightly different perspective. Um, I would I would, I would also exclude Ramsey for the reason I've just talked about um, as a business. I would absolutely exclude Prometicus on valuation, not because it can't, but just because who knows. And, you know, again, we talked before, was it Friday or Sunday? I can't remember. Today or Friday. Just about the, the too hard basket. If you've got a business on a P of 120, it's got to increase profits sixfold to be on a P of 20. And when it does that, if the market has to stay flat and you still don't make any money. <laughs> yeah. So just by the current price right now, profit might have to be six-ish times, and call it five, call it seven, who cares, larger right now. Uh, now, if the market goes up 20% while it happens, well, you've got to up another 20% to catch up with that. If the market goes up 50% while that takes that time, then you're 50% behind. Um, I'm not saying it can't do it. Prometicus, if anyone can, it probably is Prometicus, given the scalability Ram just talked about. But probabilistically, you know, if I if I have a scarce amount of money and I want to invest that, my, my most likely idea is do I want to invest in business with 120 PE? No. Again, not saying I'm it's wrong to do so. I don't I don't want to do it. I don't I don't have the required degree of certainty given the sheer mind boggling maths that's required to do well from that investment at the current price. So I don't know. I might have excluded Prometicus before Ramsey, but I'd probably do exclude both uh, for very, very, very different reasons. Resmit, I like a lot. CSL, I like a lot. Uh, notwithstanding to Ram's point, can you really get your head around it? No, you got to trust management. The, the sheer dollars, the sheer size of CSL means in five years' time, it's going to have to invent some income streams that I don't know about yet, because mm. it's just so huge. It, it, the market can't grow organically enough, given how big it already is. You got to add stupid amounts of billions of dollars worth of revenue and, and market cap. Mm. Um, can they do that? I don't know. So you're going to have to trust management and background and R&D spending, all that kind of stuff. I hope they can do it. Uh, so that's probably less certain. ResMed, I think the sleep apnea machine market is great. I think the Ozempic risk is way overblown, but it's not nothing. I wouldn't hold ResMed forever. Cochlear the same. If a gene therapy fixes a lot of deafness, the cochlear implant might be one of those things we see in museums in 10 years' time. Mm. Uh, maybe not. Mm. So yeah, that, that's it's that's a, it's a hard, yeah, yeah. I, I like all of that. Just while you're doing that, I had a quick look at Ramsey just because, mm. as I said, I hadn't for a while. So wow, did COVID really yes. knock the wind out of their sales? Yeah. So I'm trying to piece it together just from the numbers, but I reckon a pretty good guess, and people who have been following it will know if this is right or not. But I mm. suspect they had a massive uh, 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 impact. They they raised shares. It looks like they raised ten or twelve percent extra shares. It was mm-hmm. a big, big dilution kind of event. And their return on equity, their earnings just fell away. But let's say, yep. let's say they get back to their former glory. Oh, the point I wanted to make was this is a good example of when capital structures can go against you, mm-hmm. right? Because they did have a lot of debt, which was fine because it was hospitals and hospitals are reliable and you never, you know, there's a super safe source of revenue and blah, 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 blah. Well, it is until it isn't. And mm-hmm. it's not to sort of, just to, just to make that point, right? Because th- this is when things go really hairy for companies that carry a, a bit of leverage and, and suffer an event like that. The other thing, though, is is with it, you look at say, well, okay, maybe they get back on their feet in the next few years. Looking at the forecast, they they're saying you know dollar fifty in dividends in three years' time, recovering strongly, they're doubling, in fact, from where they are at the moment over the next three years. Well, a dollar fifty uh, in dividends. What is the share price now? Fifty dollars. Yep. That means that in three years' time, if this analysis is correct, I'll have a company that's yielding me about three percent on my purchase price. Yep. So, in so three it's not years a, time. in three years' time, yep. right? Not now. In fact, it's it's a point one five or one one point five percent or something now. So, yeah, I I I I would exclude Ramsey. 
I, I'm not going to flog the horse too much further, mate, but I'll share some numbers. Five years ago, uh, sales per share of 56 bucks. Now, sales per share of 62 bucks. So mm. gain of about 10% per share sales-wise over five years, which is mm-hmm. anemic yep. <laughs> at best. Now, yes, COVID in between that, maybe they're going to bounce back. Uh, they did have a decent jump between 2022 and 2023. So maybe this financial year is different. And again, I'm not saying it's not. I'm just giving you the numbers. Mm. Uh, five years ago, earnings per share, $3.20. Earnings per share now $1. So followed by two thirds over that period of time. At the same time, I bet you it was the cost of capital. I haven't done the work, but I'm going to guess here. A bunch of debt, interest rates went up. Their costs uh, went up because of all of COVID. Their revenue Mm -hmm. took a knock. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Over that same time, the share count has increased by 10 or 12%, as you say, Ram, and their debt has doubled. Yeah. None of that is, is the sort of story you want to find from a business that frankly now again COVID is really weird so don't draw any direct conclusions from this it's it's the weirdest time Andrew and I have lived through as investors because Mm -hmm. it just dislocated everything and trying to draw any trends for any of this stuff is impossible now for almost any business right you've got a there's a break in the series as they say Um, but that being said uh, you know this is not the sort of business you're going to look at and say wow it's doing so well I can't wait to buy some of these shares and it's why resiliency is important too yeah, it's, so not, it's not so cheap. Point. You look at that and go, well, it's doing a bit ordinarily, but it's cheap, so I should buy it. I could get behind that if it was sort of like, look, we had, like we had right. this Black Swan event, right? And it's knocked everything around. But, you know, structurally, we're still fine. There's still the same opportunity persists and the rest of it in a few years, we'll get back to it. And if I had this proposition in front of me, and maybe that is the business proposition, but I'm actually getting a 3% yield today mm-hmm. with some franking credit. Okay, maybe, maybe that's that's a very different a question at a one and a half percent yield so there you go probably yep. exclude ramsey mate we've rabbited on for long enough you've got to go and run another couple of marathons this afternoon so i don't want you know to it too much too much longer uh will you come back next friday yeah yeah you bet excellent fools thank you for listening if you have any questions for us info at fool.com.au hit us up on the socials andrew is at sage underscore simeon at strawman invest exclusively on twitter which i will still refuse to call by its new name mm-hmm. uh, i am on twitter and insta at tmf scott p or you can get me on facebook at facebook.com forward slash scott phillips money on mastodon i was on blue sky these days i haven't logged in since i got the account so i'm not sure what i, am. I think i'm the same as that oh, yeah. i'm not entirely sure oh, yeah. you on jack's new thing Jack's all about Nostar these days, which is a whole other conversation. Yeah. And we shan't have that just yet. No, we don't. Until next Friday. Full (laughs) on. Cheers. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. The Motley Fool operates under Financial Services Licence 400691.